Welcome to One Day Contract, the Panthers talk show where each week we're joined by a new personality who we've signed to a one day contract to join the show. One Day Contract is a proud part of the Riot Network. Follow us on Twitter at the Riot Network to stay up to date on all of your favorite pods. Subscribe, rate, love us on iTunes. My name is Nikki Wolf. With me, as always, Josh Klein, managing editor for the Riot Report, co host of It Is What It Is, is making his list, checking it twice, and has decided officially that eggnog is nice. Guess what? Here's the thing with eggnog, not to jump into this too quickly, but um, I tested it with, here's the thing. Who are these people that like egg-based drinks? (laughs) One of them's right here on this Zoom call. Um, I think I never really liked it because everybody really like, I feel like just made fun of it so constantly that I didn't want to like it. But I'm telling you what, man, you get a nice creamy egg like a like a high quality one like not the not the terrible one that you buy at the grocery store put some bourbon in there that's really the key because if you're just going to drink it like it's not you can't have a virgin pina colada it's not a virgin pina colada type situation if you don't have booze in it it's going to be terrible has a little bit of a kick to it give it a little bit of spice a little nutmeg maybe some cloves i mean now we're cooking that that it'll get you in the christmas spirit and it'll get you drunk and uh, it'll have you on the toilet for the rest of the day. So really, that's like oh. the, that's like top four. That's top four things that you need uh, on Christmas week. Good start to the show. Did you do it right? Why? I don't, no, I don't want to know. I don't. I don't want to know. I don't feel like it should send you there for a few hours. But I know, mean, whatever. it's made with eggs and cream, so it's like it's it's it, things are happening. Things are going to start happening. They're going to start happening fast. Okay, moving on. <laughs> Also with, we'll ask Colin's opinion on eggnog. Eggnog. Colin Hoggard, columnist and contributor for the Riot Report, and has worked out all the scenarios to get the Panthers to the third pick. Moving on up. It is draft season. I hear Lamar Jackson is a big eggnog drinker. Um, Is that true? Oh, yeah. Ha, I get it. Because of the, because he pooped. (laughs) (laughs) It took me like one second. If I hadn't said, is that true, I would have been right there with you. But poop joke. Yeah not as funny um yep and and look tanking tank the jets the jets got it right tanking was the way to go clearly was the the fans the fans are ecstatic with the results like everything's everything's good when you tank well we've now gotten to a situation where win or lose the fan base is going to be furious with you so there (laughs) there's really no winning for the next two weeks in carolina unless you're focused on the world right it's true (laughs) <laughs> Let's bring our guests on on the one-day contract this week. Jonathan Jones, senior NFL reporter and insider for CBS Sports, co-host of that other pregame show on CBS Network, and is only halfway paying attention right now as he mentally prepares for the Tar Heels to embarrass themselves on a national stage at the Orange Bowl. Yeah, that sounds about right. Welcome, JJ. Yep, yep, yep. I appreciate it. Uh, thanks for having me. You know, I wanted to have some interplay there with the eggnog and the Lamar Jackson joke, which was fantastic, Colin, that Josh totally screwed up. But then, you know, <laughs> I hadn't yet been introduced yet. And so you just don't know, like, all right, am I going to sort of be that, like, faceless voice there? Do I wait for the introduction? But anyway, I just wanted to say, Josh, you went way too far on the eggnog joke. Colin, I was right there with you, buddy, with with your uh, Lamar Jackson quip. And I really wish that Josh were, uh, were keeping up on that one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it seems like a bad, so if we're keeping score here, if there's some sort of sports show that keeps score, I've, I've, I'm in the negative. Colin's in the positive. JJ, you're probably moving on up. You get like the ding for oh, just for being oh, here, for the, being oh, the special oh. guest, the celebrity. And Nikki, as always, is in the lead. 
It was funny just to watch Josh, as you could see, like the light turn on in his head as he was talking when it hit him, <laughs> what it was. So that was nice. I'm glad we're on Zoom so I could see that. I think I more just wanted Lamar Jackson to have like tweeted out how much he liked eggnog. And I was like, wait, I didn't know that. Like that just seems like such a weird personality trait that I could kind of see happening. Like anybody that you hear having a, having a weird either aversion to something or they weirdly like it. Um, I, I like to hear that about my NFL players. That's, that's your sweet spot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's not like if you think something is just okay, I don't want to hear about it. But if you really like it, if you're like really into cranberry juice or you really hate cranberry juice, put that on Instagram. Are you here? Are you, Brian Burns, if you're out there, let me know. So when you found out that Eric Berry is petrified of horses, you were all in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or when I found out that Gerald Green doesn't like to swim in the ocean because of icebergs, that's the kind of stuff that I like, I like to know. <laughs> oh and jg just to let you know there's not a lot of rules on this show so you can jump in at any time you yep. you could have jumped in in the beginning to make fun of josh that's fine oh, carolina's, carolina's orange bowl appearance counts way more than duke's rose bowl appearance ever did okay so yeah no that's that's absolutely right i do consider this uh to be a legitimate orange bowl um, for carolina don't know how it's going to go for the tar heels with the uh, opt-outs that i'm all in favor of or four, but uh, yeah, very happy. I got to say, I'm going to go ahead and right off the top, when Carolina hired Mac Brown, I was like, mm, I don't know about all this. Started looking up his age and doing the math and whatnot. Uh, <laughs> and I'll tell you what, he has absolutely proven me wrong on that one. I've said it many times, but uh, I feel like I need to say it right here on the one-day contract. Yeah, it's uh, it, it, obviously this is, the, this is the one that will be taken for posterity. Mac, is li- Mac, if you're listening, JJ's on board. Good to know. <laughs> So before we jump right into Panthers news, let's just start the show with a little bit of remembering Kevin Green. Um, Whether you have a story, memory, anything you want to share, let's let our guests go first. JJ, you want to jump in? Yeah, you know, obviously he he gave a lot of legitimacy and credibility to uh, the, the brand new Panthers organization when he got there. I don't necessarily... You know, I'm, I'm 30, so when he came to Carolina, I was six, seven, eight years old. Um, I don't, and I, I, never, I didn't really grow up a Panther fan, um, so I don't remember him at, when I was a kid, like, watching him play necessarily. But I'll tell you what I, I was a fan of, and that was uh, WCW and wrestling. So I knew Kevin Green, the wrestler, more than I knew Kevin Green, uh, the Pittsburgh Steeler, the Ram, the Panther – uh, and so that was always fun. Those, those neat little crossovers with, uh, you know, Rodman and then of course, Kevin Green as well. So that's what I remember from him, um, sort of, you know, reaching different, uh, demographics there. You know, you mentioned him, uh, this little foray into pro wrestling. We think of bank of America stadium really as Cam's house. It's hard to imagine another guy being the, the guy that captivates the home crowd. Kevin Green was, but you said he brought that credibility and he brought that personality and he was that guy that could really uh, energize the crowd, not just with his plays, but he had, he did the Ric Flair strut, you know, he did, he would mix it up with the quarterbacks and then the offensive line and get, get the fans going and hooting and hollering 41 and a half sacks as a Panther fifth all time um, in franchise history. He was the all time leader until pep CJ Ruck and uh, eventually Mario Addison all passed him, but he did. He was the all-time leader uh, when he left. And an interesting thing too, 
he was he came in '96, was not on the team in '97, played with San Francisco. I, I don't remember exactly. There was a, a franchise tag thing at the time. They didn't want to pay him, and then they brought him back um, for two more seasons um, after that one year away in San Francisco. And this is where he closed out his career. Um, apparently, I just found out via Google that uh, some NFL teams required a no had a no wrestling clause in some of his later contracts. So that was the reason why he stepped out of the ring. Um, but he was a member of the um, only Carolina Panthers tag team in, in WCW history when he tagged with Bill Goldberg, uh, the first player cut by the Carolina Panthers. So that's always fun. I, I told this story on Twitter earlier this week, but um, I'll, I'll tell it again here. Uh, my dad was not a big Jersey guy, uh, wore a Kevin Green jersey for almost a decade. And he was walking into Bank of America Stadium and uh, heard a voice say behind him, hey, I like that jersey. And my dad, uh, his typical response to anything that you liked that he had was, it's for sale. And uh, turned around <laughs> and um, and the voice said, uh, oh, no, please don't sell it. He turned around and, of course, it's Kevin Green, um, who was uh, very excited to, uh, to see somebody wearing his jersey. And uh, ever since I kind of started this story and I told it on Twitter, a lot of people have reacted that said, you know, anytime that they had any sort of interaction with Kevin Green, um, he was uh, just, you know, always willing to talk to fans, always wanted to talk to fans. And, and my dad wanted to get his autograph and didn't have a pen or a Sharpie or anything for him to sign the jersey with. And so Kevin Green pulls out a business card out of his pocket and gives it to my dad and says, uh, send me an email, send me the jersey. And I'll ship it back to you um, autographed. And that's exactly what happened. Um, wow. That's the first part of the story. The second part of the story is that uh, Kevin Green had an AOL email address, which um, you may or may not know. Uh, JJ, you said how, how young or old you are. Uh, when you had somebody's AOL email address, you could add them to your instant messenger list as well, which I did because I'm an idiot. And so when at any time that he would pop up online, I was like, man, there's Kevin Green, one of my friends, my best friend, Kevin Green is, uh, <laughs> I, could, I could IM him right now, but I'm not going to, uh, I, I'm not going to do it. And then one day um, I did. And, uh, and it was after a little bit of cajoling from my buddy. Um, he said, you know, you should, uh, you should uh, IM him. So I said, hey, Kevin, just no response, obviously. <laughs> And then all of a sudden, here comes a response. Hey, who's this? And I was like, uh, it's Josh. How are you? I have a question. And he says, uh, you know, how did you get my email? And I say, uh, I don't know. You just popped up, up, popped up on my IM list. You know, just trying to play it cool. You know, I don't know how. Uh, just playing Not cool. selling your dad out, though. Of course not. No, definitely not. I didn't give him my last name. So maybe that was not for sale. Um, <laughs> yeah. did, did, you, did you say Kevin ASL? <laughs> uh, well, yeah when you before you identified yourself as josh yes did you have a creative aol email address that you were reaching out to kevin green with at this point no, it wasn't anything particularly exciting okay. it was uh the the thing was was he had a I, and i don't I, i'm hesitant to say it um because it probably is still an aol email address that that somebody may have access to, um, but it did have the number 91 in the title. I will tell you that. Um, it was very like, you saw it and you were like, that's Kevin Green's email address. Like there was no doubt. Um, and, uh, so he said, I don't think I'm supposed to be there. That was on, on my, on his email list. And I was like, Kevin, I got a quick question for you. Um, I'm in a band 
and we need a real rock and roll name. And you seem like the best person to give us that name. And uh, there's just radio silence, just nothing. And I was like, all right, well, that obviously this is where the, this is where it ends. And all of a sudden, I would say probably like five or 10 minutes later, pops up. I am from uh, Kevin Green. How about Dog Rush 1? That was the blitz we called when Chad Coda had the interception against Pittsburgh. <laughs> Bye-bye. And that was... <laughs> That was the end of our conversation, obviously. The, and the only time, and, 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 and I tried multiple other times to get in contact with him via IM. Never responded ever again after that. Um, unfortunately, Dog Rush won. Not a great uh, band name when it's two acoustic guitars playing um, Dave Matthews covers. And, uh, <laughs> and it's not like, hey, guys, we're Dog Rush one. Here's do 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 like it just doesn't make sense so um we did not use dog rush one but uh that that's my kevin green story and something i will always remember um and uh and so rest in peace kevin um dog rush one forever that's a hell of a story that, that's the most amazing story i feel like we should just stop the show now that's I it feel like, i feel like you should use that as a, as a trivia name going forward i feel like you can use it as a <laughs> yeah that's true um, pretty good the, that that game you're talking about that Pittsburgh game, 96, that was when they, they clinched the division in that game. And and Kevin Green had a safety in that game as well when uh, Coda had the interception to clinch it at the end of the game. Incredible game. Let's jump right into Panthers news. First up, Panthers and Washington football team game flexed to 405 on Sunday. First question, how bad are the matchups on Sunday? <laughs> <laughs> uh, all the ones that are on CBS are great matchups. Obviously. Um, uh, it's uh, the only uh, channel I ever watch. Right, a fantastic <laughs> slate of games. Fox no, is terrible. It, you know, it, it, it's almost, you know, the league has no way of knowing this, especially when they're, when they're creating um, the schedule. But it, it was, you try mostly not to have the divisional games in week 16 because you, you sort of want to build it up for week 17. Um, and I mean, there are divisional games, uh, some, some places, but obviously week 17 for all the divisional games. So it's sort of like college football where, especially like the SEC schools who always schedule the cupcake opponents right before, you know, Alabama, Auburn, uh, and you know, the big games right there at the end of the season. So yeah, a little, little bit weak, but you know, still plenty of playoff scenario intrigue. And of course, the reason why the Carolina and Washington game has been flexed is so that Washington can still be in the same window as Dallas and Philly, because if Washington were to beat the Carolina Panthers at 105, uh, then at the four o'clock kickoff between Dallas and Philly, both of those teams would have already been eliminated from playoff contention. That makes sense. That's a good reason for it. Uh, I Assumed it was not because of the uh, Chase Young, Jeremy Chin one-on-one -on -one battle for <laughs> Defensive Rookie of the Year. Was they were like, we got to get that on national TV. I, I <laughs> the was, Ron Rivera revenge game. That's I mean, what I was worried about it was not necessarily the revenge game, but the welcome to the Ron Rivera Bowl. Ron has had a tough 24 months, and now you know, like, oh, I mean, it's coming. We're <laughs> we're gonna be hearing that. Don't worry, I'm I'm sure. Yeah, a lot of talk yeah, yeah. about that. Yeah. It's going to be uh, Jerome Bettis is from Detroit from, uh, oh. from that Super Bowl. Uh, it's going to be Ryan Fitzpatrick went to Harvard. And, uh, yeah, we're, we're going to hear about it a lot. Uh, Shane Larkin is actually the son of Barry Larkin. Yeah, there you go. That's one. Jeremy Chin, Steve Atwater's nephew. Fun fact. Me may not have known that. Really flies around like him. So, uh, and Christian McCaffrey um, 
is very handsome and he he does biceps. Is that that's what they talk about a lot? <laughs> he does biceps. Uh, speaking of Christian McCaffrey, still in doubt for Sunday. Are we going to see him this year? Nope. Nope. I gave I, I gave my my great CMC's a leader. <laughs> CMC's coming back. CMC's going to lead the final month. No. Nope. No reason to at this point. I I still think yes. I still think I, I, I don't know whether it's going to be this week. I, I, it feels like if they don't put him out this week, then it's like trotting him out for week 17 is, doesn't make sense. But it's like I, I do think that any time that I've ever talked to Matt Rule or even Chris, like not that I've talked a lot with Christian uh, over the past two months, but um, you, you just get the feeling that they're like they're not – he wants to get out there and play. And Matt Rule, if, he, if he's healthy enough, Rule wants to get out there and play. And while – Colin and and the rest of Panther Nation wants them to lose out and get that third pick. I, I think Matt Rule has no interest in doing that. And if he is able to go, I, I think they're going to put him out there. So with Chris McCaffrey, the Panthers have a better chance of winning football games. And, you know, we were just on with David Tepper yesterday talking about analytics and talking about what this team needs. I understand both sides of it. I understand Matt Rule wanting to establish that winning culture and how close they've been and not being able to get over the hump and they keep progressing. And listen, all that stuff has absolute legitimacy to it and is very real. But I, I, I'm with you, Josh. If he doesn't play this week, it doesn't make a lot of sense to watch him trot out there in week 17. I would be fascinated. Right now, the Panthers would pick fourth in the draft, right? It's, it's Jacksonville, New York, Cincinnati, and then Carolina right now at four, according to Tankathon, and with all the tiebreakers and whatnot. And so do you put them out there, try to win a couple games, feel good about things in the offseason, and then not have your pick of quarterbacks after Trevor Lawrence and whoever goes number two to the Jets? Uh, and then it also depends on what the Jets do, because missing out on Trevor Lawrence at one, um, you know, there's a legitimate conversation to be had about packaging that second pick and just getting a haul. Uh, if you're not going to get Trevor Lawrence. Um, so I will be fascinated to see the math here. Players don't tank. Coaches don't tank. But uh, coaches who are part of management, who are uh, established and are comforted by, let's say, I don't know, a seven-year contract, might be more encouraged to think about the long term. Uh, and if they are, they may think, all right, this one win would be nice. These two wins would be nice. But what is greater than that, securing our future for the next 15 years with a quarterback that we can get in the draft. And the best way to do that right now at this point is to lose these final two games. Do you think that, that the, and obviously I, I want people that are freaking out to know we are going to talk about Marty Herney and the GM spot. <laughs> we're not just going to ignore that that all, like we taped this yeah, on I Sunday think... afternoon and we're like, Oh, well, what's going to happen with, uh, obviously we know that um, that's the, the bulk of the podcast. But I, my, my question is they don't, they can't get the first pick. They can't get the second pick. Um, probably they're not going to end up with a third pick. I, I think that I, I'm curious whether having their choice of those, three through five quarterback at four is that so much is that so great you know what I'm saying like if they want the quarterback at four is the quarterback at four that much better than the quarterback at eight 
or at so, seven or at six? Yeah, that's a great question. And, and, you know, I'll be completely honest with you. I have not begun to uh, look at the, the draft eligible quarterbacks in any sort of detail other than knowing that Trevor Lawrence is by far the number one. And then I'm not going to sit here and lie to you guys and, and the listeners and be like, okay, I'll take Trey Lance over Justin Fields because of blah, blah, blah. Um, but I would just say we can do the mock draft right now and say, all right, Lawrence uh, to Jacksonville. Jets take uh, Justin Fields. The Cincinnati Bengals, an obvious need of offensive line, help take Penny Sewell out of Oregon. And then Carolina has the BYU kid or Alabama uh, kid or North Dakota State kid. And there you go. And could you get either or any of those guys if you won a couple games and moved down to seven? Absolutely. But the other side of the coin is, uh, as I just talked about with the Jets, if the Jets decide, hey, number two picks for sale because we view uh, quarterbacks two through five in the exact same way, we're willing to move down. Now you're talking about, hey, how do you feel about Justin Fields? Because mm-hmm. number one is not going to be for sale. We all understand that. Um, but, but past that, sort of anything can happen in the draft. It's not dissimilar to uh, 2016 with Jared Goff and Carson Wentz, where you know it was, it was the Titans and the Browns that year who had one and two. And then a couple months later, all of a sudden, it was the Rams and Eagles. So I could see, you know, Jacksonville's not moving out of one, but I could see something happening at two, potentially even three, if the Bengals decide that they want to get some veterans in there and not just keep uh, adding uh, through the draft. So, you know, things could happen above Carolina. I would not put in, in, in pen uh, certain things that are going to happen right now in April. I also want to call my shot here when you keep saying Jags with the number one pick. I think the Jags are going to beat the Bears on Sunday because oh. there would be nothing better than the Jets fans just absolutely murdering themselves for a week only for them to then pop back down. But it, I don't know. The Jetsiness of losing out on Trevor Lawrence for nothing, that also seems great. But I, yes. I really do believe it has that feel of like, let's go to Chicago where Trubisky has thrown four interceptions <laughs> – just that kind of has that has that feel to me. And real quick, kudos to the Bengals for picking up that third win against the Steelers because it does make the third pick a possibility for this Panthers team because the Bengals have that tie, so they're sitting there at three, ten, and one, and they are going to the Texans this upcoming week. I think for a team that has their quarterback that wants the culture, Zach Taylor needs to prove he can win something. I think there's a there's a lot of incentive in there for them to try and have a little positive momentum here at the end of the season with the intention of bringing Burrow back. Also, with the Jets, if they've been so focused on on uh, the number one pick on Sunshine for all this time, do they even feel comfortable taking a different quarterback there at number two? Or is that guy almost destined to fail unless he comes in and, uh, and lights things up because he's not Sunshine? So I think that, you know, whether it's a trade or they end up taking Sewell, but then the Bengals sitting there at three, they don't need a quarterback, so they trade. The Bengals don't typically trade. The other thing is the Panthers sitting there at four could potentially have the best defensive player on the board or the third best quarterback in this draft. And I'm not saying don't take a quarterback. I'm not saying that the the, the quarterback isn't in this draft or anything like that. I'm just saying I would not go in here. And it sounds like they might with the express intent of getting a quarterback. And whether it's the third quarterback or the fourth quarterback, I think that's I, I think that, that with that mindset you can get yourself in trouble if you don't like or you don't pick a specific individual. And Colin, that's a fantastic point. And that's the thing about maximizing, let's say it's the fourth overall pick. 
Um, and, uh, you know, for w- whatever has happened, if you don't love that top rated quarterback that, that everybody else has on the board or whatever, and you're willing to go down to six or seven, believing that your guy is going to be there and there's greater value there, then maximize that fourth overall selection. And that's very much, uh, w- well within the cards, but I mean, it was really David Tepper yesterday did not hide his disdain for, uh, for how Teddy Bridgewater has been playing down the stretch this season. I, I mean, it's just, it, it was, it was, it was thinly veiled. Uh, it was, it was paper thin. Oh, and, I man. Was, and listen, I, 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 as a journalist, I love when my, when subjects speak the truth, I'd rather them tell me the truth than lie to me. So I'm not going to sit here and be like, wow, I can't believe he talked like that about the quarterback. But like, if I'm Teddy Bridgewater, listen, and I'm like, damn, bro, that's how you feel. Yeah. It's great. When he started asking at the end of the interview, why, and when he was like, Steve Reed, let me ask you, do do analytics pick out how players are playing in the two minute drive and in the fourth quarter? It's just like, oh my God, Dave, you know, you're being recorded right now, right? Like you're, (laughs) you're, I I just got to ask, because we're going to transition to it at some point. This feels like a move that like football teams made 10, 15 years ago. Maybe the last time Marty Herney got fired. Like, are we as Panther fans supposed to be like, oh, they're taking it seriously over there. They're not taking this lying down. Why, I'm inspired for the remainder of the season. What are we doing? And then you want to come out and do this with your quarterback, with, with all your new guys in a season that means nothing? You can't even make it through a season that means nothing. And, and tell me, tell me if I think, it's, I think it's crappy to do this in Christmas week. JJ, you're a senior NFL reporter. This is the season. This is the time when these guys are I, – I can be completely out to lunch on this. You can tell me that I need to toughen up because this, this is the NFL. But I think firing a guy at this time, at this point in the season, with all his track record for this organization, and then doing this in the same day, bad look, man. We're just trying to get to the draft here. Uh, you know, Colin, you make a you make a really good point and solid argument. I mean, obviously, you know, the, the counterpoint to that, as everyone on this uh, Zoom knows, is, you know, David Tepper didn't get rich or get to his position by being a nice guy, necessarily, and, and not being cutthroat. So, yeah, and listen, and he can also explain it away as, uh, you know, we were going to fire him at the end of the season anyway. This way, it lets him get a jump on things. We don't have to conduct the search behind his back. Oh, that's fine and well, and I get it. You know, GM searches are conduct behind, conducted behind GM's backs all the time. Chicago's doing it right now. Um, I, I, I want to take that back. They're not, they, they, they are not actually conducting a search, but you would be foolish to think that Chicago ownership is not looking around wondering who's going to be our next GM. Let me put it that way. Um, but, yeah, Marty Herney has done a lot for the organization. If, if David Tepper is, is uh, you know, telling us the truth about how much he helped be that bridge for the year uh, that, that Matt Rule was there, maybe you owe him just a little bit more. I do know this. Marty wanted uh, to stay in Carolina. He loved Carolina. He, he loves Carolina. He loved that GM job. Uh, he, he obviously wanted to stay on as GM and not whatever that senior scout level position that Tepper had kind of thrown out there last year or whatever. Um, but, you know, there, there is an argument on both sides. Ultimately, yeah, this is good for both parties to do it now if this was always going to be the eventuality, which, of course, it was. I just looked at his deal. His deal runs out, you know, at the end of June or whatever in 2021. Most of us thought he wasn't going to survive the transition, which I think would have been justifiable. I just don't think at this point – like, Derek Brown has his best game as a pro, and it's like, ah, got to get that GM out right now. 
right now. Well, uh, and, and I'll, uh, Josh, and I'll just say this, because there is something to be said here, right, about, uh, all right, Marty served as a bridge and we didn't want to, to send him off. But that was with the idea that David Tepper was saying Rome wasn't built in a day. You give a college coach and Matt Rule a program builder seven years, so you know it's going to be a rebuild. But then you keep the GM who wants to prove, hey, I'm a pretty good GM. And so there was never alignment on where this team was from top to bottom. Because otherwise, if because we all looked at this team and said, uh, they're not going to compete in 2020 for, for a playoff spot. And so why do you go out there and get Teddy Bridgewater, a quarterback who is, who is now going to make you – uh, you're going to be in purgatory, right? If they had won two or three of those games that they probably should have won, we're talking about a seven and nine Carolina Panthers team at the end of the season. Everybody hates that. And so what they, what they probably could have done was fired Marty last year, started over, looked at that number seven overall pick and said, Hey, maybe we can get to three trade with Detroit. And uh, and maybe go up and get a Justin Herbert, who Marty loved, by the way, or to a Tiger But they stood pat. They got their quarterback in free agency, and then at seven they could take the best player on the board, who was Derek Brown. So, uh, you know, David Tepper can't just wash his hands of this and be like, ah, well, you know, it was it was one year. Like, there's a pretty decent argument that they could have had Justin Herbert for not that much last year. Yeah, we, we talked about this for the majority of the offseason in that this this muddiness that it creates with the timeline of where Marty Herney was at and where Matt Rule was at. So Matt Rule is on the seven-year timeline. Marty Herney clearly w- wanted this team to be maybe not compete for the playoffs, but better than not to be 1-15 this year. And that was for the reason to ultimately, I think, keep his job. And I think some of the things that you saw from, from David Tepper – um, whether it was on the call with us, whether it's in the whether it's in the interview with Darren Gant that he did on Panthers.com, like there's some stuff in there that's just basically like I I didn't let like Marty and I didn't see eye to eye. And whether it was he wants to say it was all data driven analytics, but I, I can't help but think that the timeline of what this team was and where the roster was this year, and then they end up being four and 10 at this point in the season when Marty came to may have come to him in the beginning of the year and said, Hey, look at what I put together. We're going to be better than everybody thought. And then it's like, no, they're not better than everybody thought. So I, I, I do, I completely agree with you that the timeline and the muddiness, whether or not it set them, I don't want to say set them back a year, but it did this year didn't really have the feel of like, we're all building towards this. It kind right. of felt like, this was a different entity rather than the road to Matt Rule and David Tepper's success. I, I think that there's, there's some similarities probably between the fact that you see the, the beginning of this organization and Bill Polian's here for three years, and then you see this with Tepper taking over and Herney's here for three years. I think, I think Tepper's tired of getting the, getting the advice from, the, from, from Marty Herney. I think he wants to make some decisions. And he's a new owner. Uh, he's got the itchy trigger finger. Uh, for the first time, I feel like anything is on the table. And that's what this is what's confusing to me about the things he said about Teddy and even the, the, the firing of Martin Herney. Like, I, you guys know this, I've moved on to the draft. Like, I'm focused over here. Like, why, why, are, we, why are we setting fires in week 16? Like, we're going to say, hey, to Ron, let us, oh, yeah, your defense is looking great, Ron. Oh, wonderful. Oh, Sean Payton, hope, hope Drew's uh, ribs are better. We'll see you guys at the draft. Like, that's where I'm at. And then, and then we're getting in fire fights over Teddy Bridgewater. Like I, I, it's, 
I think he's get, I think he's get, I think he's itching to make a move. I think I, not only do I think them moving up in the draft is on the table, I think them moving back into the first round is on the table. Like I think it's all on the table for them this year, and and, and I'm fine with them being focused on that. I just seems silly. I thought it was interesting that he weighed in on what the Panthers needed in the draft, kind of unprompted. Nobody said, hey, which position group do you think is lacking on this roster? And he kind of went into this diatribe about how the media was writing about the secondary all the time. And then he talked about the quarterback, which he would then dive back in on a couple more times. Uh, JJ, you tweeted out that quote about he wants to, he'll be a tiebreaker. Um, and then he And then he kind of walked it back, but then he kind of didn't. Um, I, I don't know. Do you see this as a, um, I, and only because he's the most famous example, it's the one that you use, but do you think that this could turn into like a Jerry Jones type situation? I mean, it, it has, there, the seeds are being planted for that. Whether, whether the tree, uh, comes from that is, is to be determined obviously, but, um, you, you can certainly see that the groundwork is being laid there and, the only thing that I want to say about this, and listen, Jerry Jones was that way, um, you know, and, and he also won a couple of Super Bowls being that way. He hasn't had any Super Bowl success or really NFC title game success in a quarter century since then. Uh, but it did work for, for a time, and that should be noted. The only thing that I want to say about this, and I've heard this from, from fans for the last year, especially when I was sort of uh, – uh, uh, I don't want to say criticized, but sometimes I criticize David Tepper for moves that he made, uh, has made and makes – is they say, well, listen, uh, he didn't become a billionaire 13 times over because of X, Y, and Z. God knows what he's doing, so I'm going to trust him. Like, it, you know, his record as an NFL owner is not that great right now so far. And I don't know that, that his success, um, as a, his wonderful success as a hedge fund manager, businessman, all of those things is necessarily going to translate to NFC titles for the Carolina Panthers. We have zero evidence of that. Uh, and so because of that, I'm not, I'm, I don't, I don't necessarily think it's, well, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. Like he was, he was a 5% owner with the Pittsburgh Steelers for a number of years. Uh, I, you know, he, that, that didn't give him much say in any of the matters. He wasn't in football operations every day. Uh, so I, I just, I, I, that, that message really is to the fans who say, well, he, uh, he, he's made a lot more money than you. Yeah, he certainly has. Um, so, you know, whatever. But you're right though, JJ, he's, none of these owners are poor, by the way. I mean, some of them may actually be, but it, for our purposes, none of them are poor. So like the fact that the, the guy's rich and has made money in life, like congratulations, plenty of dudes that have had that, those, you know, credentials and have sucked as owners uh, in the past. So like that to me, but the, the, the Steelers thing, because you think about what the Steelers represent and he was definitely, you know, positioned as this is a Steeler guy. He, he's a Steeler type guy. Look at what he's done with Rivera, Marty Herney. I mean, even, even going, going after Teddy Bridgewater, like you don't see the Rooney's doing that kind of stuff, but he was definitely positioned as a Steeler type guy. But the reality is he's way more Jerry Jones. Look, he clearly needs a friend. He needs someone to talk to. He doesn't have a barbershop to go to so he can talk about his things. That's why when he gets in front of a microphone, he's got to talk about quarterbacks for 20 minutes. He's got to get that. I'll he's going to get that touch. webcam set up better too. Like it's just, it's not. He's got. It's. It's like he's over. Look, he's over all, here all the time. All or nothing. You saw it. And all or nothing. Who was in the box with him every game? Nobody. By the fourth quarter, it was just him by himself. He needs a buddy. We need to get <laughs> David Tepper a buddy for Christmas. 
Colin, I love that this has fired you up, man. Look, it's this. I mean, it, it sounds like the, the Kevin Green adds this extra layer to it, you know, because of the passing of Kevin Green. So it kind of, but I'm not trying to use that as, uh, but Marty Herney is the single most influential pro sports executive we have had in Charlotte sports history. He's the most foundational guy we've got, and yet we we want to treat him like crap. I, I just and, – and, and for Tepper, Tepper sees the fans treating him like this. He pays attention to the media. He sees all this stuff. You know he does. And if it's like, well, if the fans don't care about it, then why the heck do I care about the history of before I was here? You mentioned Jerry Jones. When Jerry Jones built that new building, you know what he did with all the photos? He made sure that all the photos from his years were colored. And all the photos from all the other players and that, that he wasn't the owner for, they're all in black and white around his big new stadium. This is what happens when owners take over. They want to make it about them. And I don't – to me, that's, that's not what this – I don't know. I, I just – that's not why I'm here. I, I appreciate everything Marty Herney did, and I know he screwed up. I know he screwed up, but let me tell you something. Marty Herney has bigger balls than people have ever given him credit for. And I'll just give you a couple examples. For one, the 2011 draft. We're supposed to have Andrew Luck. Do we get Andrew Luck? No, of course we don't get Andrew Luck. But a guy that was projected as a mid to late first rounder, Marty Herney walks into Jerry Richardson's office and convinces him to take him number one overall. Becomes biggest star the city's ever seen. And then Brian Burns. Let's think about Brian Burns. Marty Herney's biggest mistake in a lot of people's eyes, other than paying two running backs, even though both running backs worked out, was the drafting of Everett Brown, an undersized Florida State pass rusher. And Marty Herney, in his second stint, yeah, oh, that's weird. You shouldn't get a second stint. I know it's weird he got a second stint. Well, he did. And guess what he did with the job? He went and picked an undersized Florida State pass rusher when he could have taken a bunch of other guys, left tackle sitting there, center sitting there. He could have taken a bunch of other guys. And he went and right back and got the dude, and he was right. Marty Herney deserves so much more credit than people want to give to him. I'm not saying he deserves to be the executive going forward, but this is just us summarily throwing out guys that have dedicated nearly a quarter of a century. We threw out Jake DeLome. We threw out John Fox. And now we're going to throw out Marty Herney? But we care about Kevin Green. But let's go look at Sam Mills' statue because we care about that. All right, I'm done. Well, um, I agree with Colin that Marty Herney's legacy is a lot more complicated than just he stunk, which I think is how a lot of fans <laughs> view him right now. Um, I yeah. do think that he is a guy that brought in almost every recognizable face in Carolina Panthers history. Um, and we could talk about his legacy later on, but I want to talk about who the next, where this team might go from here. Um, because it's interesting to me that, that Marty kept talking about, or Marty, excuse me, David Tepper talked multiple times about data-driven analytics and, and seeing eye to eye and wanting to kind of, I don't want to say like move forward into the next century, but that's kind of the way that it seemed to me was, was move forward um, with, as opposed to this old school football um, way that, that Marty wanted to run the scouting department. Um, and I don't pretend to have a great, uh, idea of who's out there on the market, but luckily somebody on the show just wrote, uh, I just gave a very exhaustive list uh, on CBSSports.com of available GM candidates. JJ, who do you think is the number one? If you had your, if you're David Tepper and you get to hire, who are you hiring to be the GM of the Carolina Panthers? 
Oh boy. Okay. So who, who I would hire, um, is, is a bit of a different question because I, if I were an owner, I probably would not run uh, the organization like David Tepper. For example, you mentioned earlier, Josh, the uh, Q&A he did with Darren Gant for the team website. Great Q&A by Darren. That, you know, uh, David Tepper was talking about how he envisioned the, the owner's office beside the GM's office, but beside the head coaches, beside the CFO, beside, you know, somebody else on the business side and, that, and the team president. And that there was going to be just this incredible synergy with, within the team. If I were running a, a, an NFL team, I would say football is going to do football and business is going to do business. And where they cross, whenever they need to cross, that's good, well, and fine. When marketing needs Christian McCaffrey to do this one thing, all right. But the CFO does not need to have an office right beside the GM or the, or, or the coach because of what, however, I, I, it, that does not need to happen. Um, so how David Tepper would do something, it's a little different than how I would do something, but he talked a lot about analytics and it's a buzzword. And I tried to get Matt rule to kind of talk more about analytics and what that means, at least for his operation, because let's face it, Matt rule is really running this operation from a, from a football standpoint. And, you know, Josh, you were on the call, Matt, he was like, Oh, analytics, all shucks, you know, analytics. <laughs> well, you know, analytics, um, so we didn't really get an answer there. If you really want analytics, um, the guy that I would go for is the Browns vice president of football operations, Quezzi Adolfo Mensa. Uh, he was a former Princeton basketball player. He was a commodities trader. And then, uh, he joined, uh, the Niners, uh, several years ago. And then from the Niners, he joined Andrew Barry's staff in Cleveland. Um, he's Andrew Barry's number two, uh, in Cleveland. And obviously we're seeing Cleveland right now with 10 wins could get up to 12. Uh, potentially the division title. So if you're talking about analytics and actual numbers, then that's your guy. That's, that's where I would go. I'll tell you the names I've heard the most. Number one, last week, especially, I heard a lot about Jeff Ireland, assistant GM for the New Orleans Saints, run, that's been running the college drafts. He has Baylor ties. Uh, you know, it's going to be important, whoever this GM is, obviously to work in lockstep with Matt Rule. And so they obviously have some background there. Jeff Ireland used to be the GM with the Miami Dolphins, had a bit of a run-in with Des Bryant at the Combine with questions that he asked that he's going to have to answer for down the road. A couple other names, Nick Casario, been the number two up in New England. Uh, I've been told that he sort of got cold feet with Houston. Um, so that's one. A, a young name would be Ryan Poles. Um, you know, all these uh, titles kind of get mixed up a little bit. The director of assistant director of player personnel for the Chiefs, uh, he's been there since 2009. And so he's seen uh, a lot of things there in Kansas City. He was brought in by Scott Pioli, who is a guy. Scott's a friend of mine. We do television together, CBS Sports HQ. So I'm not going to pretend like, oh, I've never heard of the guy. Uh, but Scott is a guy who cares about diversity, who has a, a fantastic track record, who uh, is a five-time executive of the year, uh, both in New England during their first dynasty. Uh, and then in Kansas City, didn't win as much as he would have liked to there, uh, I believe has learned from uh, mistakes that he made there and is ready for another shot after being assistant GM in Atlanta, where, oh, by the way, they went to another Super Bowl. So um, those are a couple of names that I would look at. Uh, and then, of course, you have Joe Shang, the um, uh, assistant GM in Buffalo, used to be in the scouting department with Carolina, Dan Morgan, uh, obviously with Buffalo, previous to that, uh, the Seattle Seahawks, and then Ryan Cowden, Titans VP of player personnel 
uh, was a longtime scout, rose through the scouting ranks in Carolina before going to Tennessee a couple of years ago and has really built one of the most consistent winners that that organization has had in, in 20 years uh, and made some incredible free agent uh, and draft decisions. You look at a Ryan Tannehill, you look at a Kenny Vaccaro, uh, you look at the deal that they got for Derrick Henry, um, Malcolm Butler. Like these are guys with track records. So it's not just, oh, I want somebody to listen to analytics. I want, it, it, even when, when Tepper yesterday was talking about, uh, Josh, you mentioned it earlier, when he was talking about uh, do NFL teams look at the analytics on how guys perform in the fourth quarter or two minute drives and, and do they uh, build contracts around that? Uh, the answer to that is yes, absolutely. They, they, yes. they all do that. Um, and if you're telling me that the GM that you just had did not do that, I would wonder why you kept him on as GM for as long as you did. I know that they did that. Um, so it was a bit of a rhetorical question, but just to answer that question, they do do that. Um, but yeah, analytics is thrown around a whole bunch. And so if you really want to dive deep into it, I gave you a name. There are a couple other names out there about that. But if you want like a, a football personnel person who is also going to just simply look at the numbers that are right there in front of them and decide, hey, here's the quantitative and here's the qualitative. And we're going to marry these two things together like a normal human being would. Then, yeah, there are plenty of good names out there. I think it's it'll be interesting to see what they what this position is too under Tepper. I mean, they've they brought in um, a guy to do contracts. They brought in some different you know people doing analytics. Like, what is the role? And if and if Rule is the top dog in this in this pecking order, as JJ referenced earlier, if he's still in coach mode to the point that he's really thinking about playing CMC over the next two games because he can't get himself into GM mode into long term vision mode, then then this is then this is going to be a is going to be a recurring problem. Yeah, I I, I think it was interesting or I I, th I thought funny. Uh, we talked to I don't know if you were on the the presser with Rule yesterday where he was just asked directly if he would be interested in that GM and he was like, no, I want to make it as clear as possible. I do not want to be the GM. No, I definitely don't. And it was like. Okay, and I kind of believe him because he is really coach. I mean, we've heard him say so many times this year that it's like it's my job to coach the players that are on the roster and it's their job to bring in guys. Now, I don't believe all of that, but I do think that he has that old school football <laughs> yeah, ask, mentality. Ask Trey Turner about that. Yeah, exactly. He just put uh, a list on the fridge, you know. I, <laughs> like people get the coffee. Oh, oh, okay. Oh. Cool. Uh, Nutter butters are in the cabinet. Cool. I did put that on the list. Um, uh, two other names that I wanted to ask you about, JJ, uh, before we get out of just kind of list mode are um, Lewis Riddick, that is kind of everybody wants to talk about as a hot name, and then um, Adam Peters, that is with uh, San Francisco, because I believe his name has been bandied about, about a little bit as well. Yeah, and Adam Peters has history with Rule uh, mm -hmm. going back uh, as well. So, yeah. Fantastic guy out in San Francisco. Um, frankly, he didn't make the list because I already had a bunch of San Francisco names on there, including Rand Carthen, uh, who, who runs uh, player personnel, VP of player personnel for them. Martin Mayhew as well, former Lions general manager, who is getting some looks in Washington as well. I think a lot of us have sort of penciled in Marty up in Washington, but that job is also being going to be competitive. Martin Mayhew in the mix there. Um, so yeah, obviously when you, when you win a lot of games, uh, like San Francisco has and turned it around, uh, like Adam Peters has with John Lynch and others there, that's going to be a name. Lewis Riddick, 
you know, uh, I don't know Lewis. Uh, I, I've never spoken to Lewis uh, one time in my life. Um, you know, he's getting a, a lot of looks right now. Um, for one, he is, uh, he's obviously a talented guy, but he hasn't done it in a long time. And so, uh, and he's never done it at that level. So there are a lot of questions that would have to be answered in the interview process. Number two, he obviously is a great communicator in order, uh, and that's proven on, on Monday nights. But, you know, the, the other thing is he's a name that's getting bandied about right now. I think that was your term. A very good term. Okay, uh, no, yeah, you didn't we're, say We're banding it about right now. So it's, okay. I mean, it's been bandied. I'll, I'll bandy away. All right. Um, because teams cannot talk to... Um, candidates that are currently on teams while the regular season is going on, the only folks that they can talk to are the guys who are not employed by an NFL team right now. And so you're talking about, uh, you know, you're talking about a Scott Pioli and you're talking about Rick Smith, the former Texas GM. And obviously you're talking about Lewis Riddick. And so if you are a team that has a, a GM opening right now and you want to prove to your fan base hey, we are doing a robust, robust search and we're starting immediately. Well, who's the first guy that you can do, you know, that you can interview? It's the, and listen, I'm black, so I'll say it. It's the diverse candidate that you can prove, hey, you see him all the time. We're doing our job. We're taking care of diversity. We're going to interview a whole bunch of people. And so I do not at all mean to say that Lewis Riddick is, is the guy who is checking the box for a lot of NFL owners. I hope that that's not ever going to be the case. But it does satisfy uh, from, from a, just a general perspective the look that we really care about this hire. We're doing all we can. So I'm not surprised that Lewis Riddick is getting a lot of interviews. I just don't know how that's going to translate to would he actually make a good GM or does he make a good person to interview for a GM job with two weeks left in the regular season? And they've been putting on ESPN, they've been putting who he's been interviewing with recently right underneath him when he makes his appearances. So if you're a team that's struggling and down and out and, and hey, this guy could be really good. You don't want to be one of those teams that didn't just like you're saying, JJ, like just, oh, yeah, yeah, we, we were, were interested too. Mm -hmm. Right, right. And he, and he may be the best GM uh, in, in, right. for the next hundred years of the NFL. I have no idea. But, but what I do know is that these guys care about perception. And when there are four or five teams calling to your point that have interviewed them and you're the one team sitting out there like, nah, we're good. Your, your fans aren't going to like that. Yeah. And, he, and you're, like, you're, you made the point about he's available and he has name recognition. So it, it really does everything for anybody that's just trying to get themselves a little positive press, you know, rather than setting fires while they win four games. I'd be, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'd be curious to know where you guys, Colin and JJ and, and Nikki too, where, where you guys rank the Carolina opening in terms of um, GM spots around the league, because I, it's certainly not the best. The best one is, is in a no tax state at the top of Florida. Um, but uh, the, I, I don't, I, I don't know. I, I'm curious because I think that the owner um, and what we've just seen yesterday probably is going to weigh into somebody's decision. Uh, I also think that the amount of input and the amount of control and, uh, and controlling interest that Matt rule is going to have in almost every decision, not just player personnel, but how you run the scouting department, because the thing about Matt rule is that he is 
very involved in, he has his finger on every piece of this organization right now from, you know, from, from the plays that they're calling to the way that they're running these analytics, the way that Taylor Rajak is running analytics to the way that, you know, the, the way that social media is being run. Like he wants to be a part of every single thing. And I think that it is that to me, if I'm a young GM candidate, that's not really doing, I'm not, I'm all that. That's a negative for me. So you, you, you know who can do well in a situation like that? A guy like Marty Herney. See, this is the problem. The people want the fancy young. Let's bring him back. Hey. <laughs> Third time's they the said, charm. They, said they got a big first round pick happen. coming up. We got to get him in time. here. Couldn't happen. He never yeah. fails. And in all seriousness, though, everybody wants the hot shot GM that thinks really highly of, of his new analytics or his new well. There's a big dog. There's a big dog that's, that's sitting there. Not just Rule, but Tepper. And Tepper, ooh, he likes, he likes to get his fingers in his pie. Oh, he man. really does. Oh. And especially come draft time, he's going to be dipped. So you want these super smart guys. You want guys to take the job, but then not have the job. You want them to have the title, have the office, but not have the job. Take the blame if it goes sideways, but don't actually have the job. You don't get successful candidates. Uh, for for positions, if, if that's the if that's the criteria, I think you really hamstring. I think this situation is really hamstring strong because of the way Tepper just conducted himself, and again said, "By the way, we're looking for a new GM, but <coughs> just remember the big tiebreakers right here." Hey, come on, man, come on. Is so no, I, I, whatever stock down, low, bottom half, whatever it is. <laughs> wow, Nikki, Nikki, what do you think? <laughs> I think the, the most important thing Colin said during all this is about what this GM job is going to be, because I don't think anyone's very clear on that. And I think that's going to have a lot of impact on what happens next. Well, yeah, you're right. The, he, he did, he talked about the, the, he said the Panthers used to be very siloed and he didn't like that. And what I think we all kind of read that as, as I certainly read it as, is, is that the business side and the football side were different, but I think, if he if he may mean that all of these jobs can kind of co-mingle and that you can have because he mentioned it last year at the end of the season he said we're going to bring in an assistant GM that maybe there's going to be he's going to work on the pro side and, and Marty can work on the college side and then there will be you know we'll have scouts that work all differently so maybe he's looking at like just re rejiggering the entire um the entire scouting front office operation into chart. something new and exciting. Yeah, exactly. Just creating a new org chart. Nothing, uh, nothing says new ownership, like creating a new org chart, just like <laughs> nothing says a new manager at a restaurant, like changing the napkin fold. Um, so it's like, you can't, <laughs> this is the thing. Like he, he may want to say, Hey, you know what? The GM is, we have a couple guys that report to him and Matt is involved and that, that may be something that he's looking for too. So you're absolutely right that it may not be, it may not be the traditional general manager spot that we're, that all the other NFL teams are used to. I mean, and that's, what is a general that, manager if not the guy that picks the draft picks? Like what does he do if he doesn't do that? Clock he generally management. manages. He generally <laughs> manages. Clock I mean, management. This is what it's going to turn into. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least he does yeah, like, purpose. Colin, that's that's a good point, and you know the, those are questions that are going to have to be answered. Listen, you go back to last year. Uh, David Tepper had identified a fantastic candidate in Andrew Barry. I've talked about him already. Cleveland Browns GM. They're ten and four right now. He was with the Philadelphia Eagles. He wanted him to come in and interview for the assistant general manager job, which 
when I saw that, I was like, that's a bit of a slap in the face to Andrew Barry, who's very ready to become a GM. He doesn't need your number two spot. Uh, and so going back to, hey, maybe if you would have pulled the trick, if you knew that this was always going to happen with Marty, maybe rip the Band-Aid off and go ahead and do it uh, right then and there. Now, the argument is you'd get the youngest GM, you pair him with Matt Rule, who didn't have that much NFL experience, and boy, 2020 could be a rough one. And I'll hear that argument and, you know, I'll just, I'll leave it there. Um, but I, I, you're right. The, the GM job is in the eye of the beholder. I've talked with a bunch of guys about this, a bunch of guys who this would be their first GM job who have said, listen, whatever it's going to be, I'm going to have questions, but ultimately if they offer me the job, I'm going to take it. And, and that's, that's the fact of the, of the matter. You look at a veteran, somebody who's, who's done this before. You look at a Jerry Reese who has two Super Bowl rings and maybe he doesn't necessarily have his pick uh, between let's say a Detroit or Carolina um, but if Carolina offered him the job and he just doesn't vibe with Matt Rule, he'll just say, well, you know, I'll try my luck in 12 months. Um, and so, yeah, I agree with you, Josh. When I did this exercise a couple of weeks ago and I was asking around the league, what quickly became clear to me was what I consider, what, what you and I may consider to be the best job, somebody else, that, that, that one con may be just overwhelming. And so in Jacksonville, you have fan apathy. Um, you have, okay, yeah, no state income tax, and now they have the number one pick and a bunch of cap space and all these things. You're in an AFC South that's winnable. You have, uh, but you also may have to play in London, uh, and you may not like that. You go to a Detroit, and maybe you really care about the history, right? And you want to play on Thanksgiving, but you don't know about Rod Wood, the president, and how much he's going to be mingling in there, and the owner Shayla Ford Hamp and, and what, what her role was going to be as a new owner since taking over for Martha Firestone Ford, you can continue down that list of Atlanta with an owner who's willing to, to spend money. You got Julio Jones, but he's aging. And Matt Ryan, do you believe in him? Rich McKay, the president who used to have that job. So anyway, I look at Carolina. We all know how wonderful of a city uh, Charlotte is. Uh, we understand sparkling new facilities in Rock Hill. We look at the NFC South and we see, well, you know what? In a year or two, NFC South can be completely wide open as soon as Brady and Breeze retire. Um, and then you just have to decide, am I actually the general manager? Do I have control over the 90-man roster, the, the 56? Uh, is it Matt Rule? Do I have to run everything by Matt? Uh, are, are our offices beside each other? Or do I share his office? And once you get the answers to those questions, that it all depends on your comfort level at that point. I mean, I, the Barry thing that you mentioned at the beginning is, is confounding, especially because, like, if Marty's role was Marty's role, I understand what you're saying about the slap in the face. But if you say, hey, we're going to do this as you're going to be number two for a year because Marty's been here for so long and we're just we're going to do the transition out. And you're going to be the guy in a year. Like to me, that's not not nearly the same slap in the face. And the fact that you're going to believe him, would would you believe him? Would I the, believe the, Pepper? Yeah, the the, the richest uh, owner in the National Football League, who laid off uh, three dozen people during a pandemic because his other side project wasn't making enough money for him at that point. Would you trust him on that? JJ, I'm trying not to be completely on one side of this entire episode. <laughs> I was trying, I, don't throw me in that briar patch. Please don't do that to well, me. It's not fair to ask people to come into work and not have that much stuff to do. It's not fair to them. That's not, I mean, people want to come in and they want to work. They want a full eight hours. Mm -hmm. Better to just get them out of there.
for um, their own sake. <laughs> I'm just going to bite my look. It used to be Thomas Davis that did, you know, backpack drives and, and now it's a billionaire. It's the same thing. <laughs> JJ, I'm curious to ask you, what do you think is Marty's legacy? Yeah, I mean, uh, Colin hit on it uh, earlier where I think that it was uh, outside of really Christian McCaffrey, right? Every recognizable Panther uh, of the last 20 years was was brought on by Marty Herney in in some shape, form, or fashion. Um, You know, you don't accidentally go go to a Super Bowl and NFC title games. Uh, That that just doesn't happen people uh, and Colin was right earlier like uh, we all kind of forget in 2011 maybe not not us here in Charlotte but a lot of folks forget that Cam Newton in 2011 was not the shoe win um the Luke John Bees uh, John Beeson was playing really well um and you know then you draft Luke Keekley and so yeah he made mistakes right and I think anyone who has a record that's so publicly available uh, who sticks around so long, who has to answer these questions, you know, you ultimately, uh, he, he's going to bleed a little bit and you're going to see the blood. So I think, um, I think that he was great for uh, the Panthers organization. I think I'm doing a story right now. Uh, it's going to be out uh, later this week on the, the, the Rams and their draft philosophy. And since 2016, they have not had a first round draft pick. And talking with them, they're like, hey, you know what? Draft picks anyway outside the top five, they're 50-50. You know, maybe you'll hit, maybe you won't. Outside of Jeff Ota, he hit, right? Like, was there a miss uh, on a first-round draft pick? And so is it, is it a layup? No. Is it the highest percentage shot that you're going to shoot in the draft? Yeah, sure it is. But even still, at best, outside the top five, it's 50-50. And he hit on every, of the, every single one of them outside of one. So – that, they're not top five. Most of them weren't top five either. That's exactly right. Yeah. And so that that should count for something. And um, yeah, I mean, fans are, are going to be rough. And you know, to to be honest and and frank about it, Charlotte's still a, a young sports city compared to others. And you know, Marty Herney is the is the best sports pro sports executive in Charlotte history because we don't have very many uh, pro sports executives in Charlotte history. Um, but that said, he is number one because of what he did, because it's a lot easier, frankly, to be number two, three, four, or five. It's tougher to be one, and he is one because of what he did. Where does Rich Cho land on that list? Oh, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm about to break out I'm about to break out into a, a Colin Hoggard-like rant. <laughs> Rich Cho. Now, the first year, Rich Cho got hired. Right? Oh, boy, here we go. You, <laughs> you get to see the real thing. Kimba is the only draft pick of the Rich Show era to average double figures for his career. <laughs> That's it. And that pick was allegedly MJ's because Biz was his pick because they split him the first year, which is just another reminder that you do need more people making decisions in the draft room. If you can get the marketing person, if they know who's going to make a better bobblehead over the next three years, you need to make sure that they're in that draft discussion. Energy. He has a great Instagram, though. I don't know if y'all follow him. Um, actually, the, a lot of food you, takes, right? He's a like, like food a food blog. Yeah. yeah. I you, love Instagram with food pictures. <laughs> you joke about Rich Cho, but, um, the second, the second best sports executive, in my opinion, this is, this is excluding NASCAR with all due respect. I just, it's, it's not my bag. Um, but, but Charlotte pro sports, 
um, executives, non-owners. The number two guy is Bob Bass. Playoffs, five out of six years for the Charlotte Hornets. What's he remembered for? One thing. One false. Kobe. Five playoffs in six years in this city. And what's he get remembered for? A lie. Oh, he Vlad, drafted Kobe. The Vladi Divac. Didn't trade, want him obviously. and then traded him to the Lakers. That's, that's, that's our second best. That's how Charlotte's second best. Or if you don't think Herney's number one, then you're Charlotte's best ever sports executive. That's what he has been boiled down to because nobody cares. I hope I'm number three. My kickball team was back-to-back-to-back <laughs> champions. I'm in the fantasy championship this week, so probably I'm in the Yeah, no, nobody cares, Josh. Let's talk cool. about the good kickball, Nikki. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> way more into the kickball. Uh, you throw curveballs in this one? Is what's this? But there's a lot of drinking involved, so, you yeah. know. Well, I mean, you, you, Nikki, your team won. We know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you didn't get bonus points for it. You did get injured a lot more, though, so <laughs> I don't. Nice. I don't recommend that to anybody. Um, before we move on to the game, JJ, I'm curious to ask you, you know, everybody was really hot about Joe Brady won't be here in a year because everybody's going to get scooped up by somebody. Now, these last couple months, you're talking to everybody in the NFL. Is that still kind of the thought, the feeling, or what do you hear? You know, if this were 2018, I would think that, yeah, maybe Joe Brady's going to get scooped up because it's the Sean McVay hysteria and everybody who knew Sean McVay was getting a job, right? And I think right now what what uh, team owners, it, everything's cyclical, right? And it's offense, and then it's going to be defense, and it's going to be older guys, and it'll be younger guys. Right now it does seem that there's going to be a greater emphasis on experience um, and leadership qualities. Um, you know, it's you do want an offensive-minded head coach, especially if you have a young rookie quarterback. So when – LA moves on from Anthony Lynn, it would make more sense to get an offensive minded head coach rather than a defensive minded head coach. Who's going to get an offensive coordinator in there. And then that coordinator is going to go in two years to get another head coaching job and another one and another one. Right. But Joe Brady right now. Okay. Super duper offensive mind. Who, who of you, who of the fans listening right now know what he's going to be as a head football coach? No one. Absolutely no one. And so he has a couple of years experience with the Saints. He has this year experience with, uh, with the Carolina Panthers. If I am a team owner, I just want someone, uh, and this is not an ageism thing because, hell, Joe Brady and I are the same age. Um, I, I, you know, I hope the best for him and all of the possibilities. But if I'm choosing between him and somebody who's been in the league for 12 years, who, who knows how to handle these guys and uh, understands uh, delegating tests, all of those things, that's who I'm going to go for. And yeah, it, it would help him if Teddy Bridgewater had uh, had a couple, you know, two minute drives that were a little bit better. You know, the, Teddy doesn't need to make uh, run that play for the two minute last week. And obviously stretching the ball out of the goal line. Those aren't Joe Brady's faults, but we can go back, you know, middle of the season I can't remember specific plays, but I do remember like, ah, not, not sure about that one, right? I, I like the call to go for it on fourth. Don't like that call. Um, so, yeah, I think some of the luster has worn off. I'm not going to be surprised when he gets some interviews. Maybe he goes in there and absolutely dominates an interview. He very well could do that. Um, but I won't at all be 
I never really bought into the, well, he's gone in 2021 and I won't be surprised if and when he's back. I'll be excited if that's what, if that's Teddy's gift to us, that he's going to be back. That's great. I, I really, <laughs> I really look at it as he doesn't, there's no, there's no way he has the network yet because there's so many problems you're going to, you're going to run into. Like he may be able to fill out a staff, you know, doodling on his notebook, you know, on his porch swing over Christmas, like, ah, then maybe I had this guy. But if all of a sudden half those guys are gone at, at his age, like he's going to be plugging holes with coaches he doesn't know. I, I just think that it's setting up, it sets up these guys for, for, you know, for failure. I, he has got to get reps. Reps matter. I think reps in the NFL matter. I think he has a chance to be a, a good head coach in time, but I, I would not be anywhere near him as a head coach hire. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. The, the reps matter and the age matters and the experience matters. And I, I'll just, I'll go ahead and say the thing that I think a lot of listeners are thinking, what has he done this year to make it seem like he should be a hot head coach candidate? They have, they gave him, and I get it, didn't have the best player on offense, but at the same time, like they have the most offensive talent, certainly a wide receiver. They brought in his pick of quarterback and Teddy Bridgewater is getting thrown under the bus left and right for the past three weeks. And Joe Brady is being a hothead coaching candidate. Like those don't, those two things don't square up to me. So I think that he has, he has underperformed from what we maybe thought that he would have. And so that to me is the reason why, uh, I'm out. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Well, it's just like at the end of as my sentence happened. started going, I was just like, oh, it's, it's, we're in Cubesville now. Like, I, <laughs> it's a lot of weight. It's a lot of weight that they're just piling on Teddy, just expecting, oh, that's eight, eight that we could have won if not for Teddy. I, I really don't understand what happened with the Teddy Bridgewater conversation in this town. Is it just because of the fact that people wanted Cam over him and are just broken from, reality like to me this is not this was never a deal that precluded them from drafting somebody it was never a deal that precluded anything going forward it was giving a guy a chance and as an organization that has gone to a Super Bowl with an undrafted free agent and Jake DeLome there's more than one way to win quarterback and I know that the day and age has changed but make no mistake about it the best possible road for the Panthers is to have a bargain quarterback and be able to build around him and I thought Teddy Bridgewater, given the number of reps he had and things like that, he was wor- a worthy chance, a worthy guy to take that swing, especially because Cam was moving on and you didn't have your next quarterback. Give a guy a chance and let's see what happens. It, 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 but no, I don't think anybody would hear, even myself, I think I was as bullish as people could be on Teddy. And I didn't think like he was a, a franchise quarterback. It was the whole idea is that you put in a competent piece and surrounded him with a bunch of weapons and then let's go. That's yeah. a way to win a Super Bowl, I think. Yeah, you, you, don't, you don't want him to go 0-8 in those, in those game-winning uh, opportunities. You want him to win three or four of those, right? And so that's where, he's, that's where he's sort of let you down. But outside of that, he's been basically who you – and listen, the contract speaks to it. It's a three-year, $63 million deal. He's not getting $30 million a year. He's getting low 20s. And you mentioned it about it doesn't preclude you from from getting another quarterback. I think we all see that this is going to be an L.A. Chargers situation uh, in 2021 um, next year for the Panthers, that Bridgewater is going to be there. He probably goes into training camp as the number one. Whoever they draft there at four or three is the number two. They're learning from Teddy. And then, hey, maybe it's a week six bye, and you do what the Dolphins just did with Ryan Fitzpatrick and Tua if that new guy is ready. 
yeah, that, that's what the contract that Marty Herney set up there. That's what it allows you to do. Hopefully win in 2020. You didn't win the games that you wanted to in part because it's Eddie in part because of other issues. And now you get to move on to 21 with your guy. Maybe you bring in the Chargers medical staff, speed that process up a little bit. Boy. Oh. Yeah. Please. <laughs> Damn it, Josh. Sorry, Teddy. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry wow. about your knee. Wow. Uh, do we have time for a game real quick? Yeah, absolutely. I love okay. games. Okay, good. This is. I don't know why I answered. It's because I'm. I have nowhere else to go. Because you're the big dog. I yeah, the that's big right. Dog's big answer. dog gives all the answers. <laughs> so this week we are playing naughty or nice. Which Panthers players are on the naughty list this year? And if they're on the nice list, what are they being given? Who would like to go first? Um, I'll I'll go. I'm the big dog. I'll go first. Um, I think that. Uh, um on the nice list uh is right tackle to the stars uh taylor moden uh of the carolina panthers certainly the best offensive lineman on the team this year is due for a huge contract i think he is on the nice list by not giving up i believe he's given up less than 10 pressures and qb hits over the course of the entire year i'm not pff i don't have it in front of me but um he has been clearly among one of the best right tackles in the entire league. And in his Christmas stocking this year might be uh, an owner and a new general manager that might be more interested in re-signing him than uh, Marty Herney was. Because I think that as of last week, Taylor Moten, the foregone, was a foregone conclusion that Taylor Moten was walking in free agency. And I think that now I personally still lean towards the fact that I don't think he's going to be back. I think he's going to end up resetting the right tackle market, but the chances have gone up now that Marty Herney is not the general manager because David Tepper may, you know, he reads, he reads articles. He is, he's on the internet and he may say, you know what? I, I, I'm getting killed over this Taylor Moten thing. Bring him back. Taylor Moten needs to, needs to employ some Russian bots, doesn't he? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> They're just, Oh, wow. Panther fan six nine eight seven four two seven says pay hashtag pay Moten his money with uh, right. with the John Malkovich gift. Yeah, gift. <laughs> hashtag MAGA twenty twenty. Oh wait, <laughs> um, okay. Wait, do you keep Stop going, Josh, steal. or can I go? No, you can go, go. Okay, my my nice. I'm gonna take the low hanging fruit here and go with Jeremy Chen, who is uh, carrying himself on and off the field like a vet. Um, loving what he's doing, playing all That's these different Steve roles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's, he's been absolutely fantastic. Um, right now, if the season ended, he would deserve Defensive Rookie of the Year. We're going to see how the rest of the season plays out. I, I do want fans to understand that sometimes this vote is a popularity contest, and I think we all understand that he has better stats and has been more effective uh, than Chase Young from a value standpoint. Uh, Chase Young is a name who plays at a money position who might be on a division leader and champion. So, you know, brace yourself. Um, and for the naughty list, uh, I'm going to go to hear Whitehead, Ooh. who, um, yeah, haven't thought about him or heard his name in some time, have you? Uh, there's a reason for that. Wasn't a very good pickup when he was. I guess he was necessary um, there at linebacker, but. Um, he, he was probably held on to in that starting role uh, two or three games too long. 
I'm going to go with, uh, for my naughty list, I'm going to go with Russell Okung. I still believe. Um, Bitcoin. <laughs> tweet. If you don't play, you don't tweet on that day. I feel like it's, it's like you're, I know these are grown men, but this is like a child rule. When you're grounded, you don't get to go out and play. If you don't play in a game, you don't get to tweet about Bitcoin for that same 24 hours. <laughs> he has opinions, man. Like, at like he has he has some like galaxy brain style opinions that I'm but just like, ready. I don't, I don't know what side he's on. I don't either. That's what's so crazy. Like, he tweets stuff out, and I'm like, I think I understand where – what? Like, well, like, you think you're like, if I ran into Russell, I thought we could have a really in-depth conversation. And then other times you're like, oh, we, he might just watch me if we ever came across each other. I'm not sure. Like, if there was a video of him getting kicked out of a Walmart for not wearing a mask, would you be surprised? Because I wouldn't. But also, I could see him getting into a fight with somebody who was not wearing a mask. But I don't, because I don't know what side he's on of any of these. They're purchasing toys for kids with Bitcoin. So, like, you know, it's it's all all complicated. (laughs) Maybe that's what he wants. He doesn't want anyone to understand him. He's just throwing us all at the sense. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to move to Carolina and just mess with these folks for a year. <laughs> y'all going to pay me and I'm going to mess with y'all. <laughs> Mission accomplished. <laughs> just a year of pleading insanity. Just like, try, like yeah. <laughs> JJ, where can all the about folks... football at- once? Once? <laughs> once. Oh, you're getting paid eight figures. <laughs> <laughs> JJ, where can the folks at home find you? Yeah, um, CBS Sports HQ. Uh, it's our streaming 24-7 service. I'm rocking this because I'm a good company man. Um, it's all your sports news analysis highlights as well as gambling and uh, fantasy info. You can get it for free, cbssportshq.com. Uh, I'm also on CBS Sports Network uh, from 8 to 12 on Sunday mornings for that other pregame show with London Fletcher, Kyle Long, Amy Trask, Adam Shine. And uh, cbssports.com for my written material at jjones9 on Twitter. My cell is 704. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you have an AOL instant messenger name that you want to reveal at this time? Uh, I don't. I don't want to reveal <laughs> it. My, my, uh, my email away message might still be up. Man, uh, I used to crush it at the away messages. That was the I best. I can only imagine. Those were the days. As did the, you, as but the, did the, you have a dorm room aim name? Because I definitely had Huey 315 back in the day. Mm, just, no, just in case you want to reach out to either one of us. We're here. We're having a good time. We're just partying. Just stop on by. You know. I know you were hinting at it, JJ. And yes, there were some Dave Matthews lyrics used in those away messages when it's, you know, obviously when they're, so, you know, of you course. know, eat, drink, I and be know. merry. Celebrate we will. Life is short but sweet for certain. Gosh, I, you you would hate to look back at your old away messages. Oh my God, there are so many <laughs> things I would hate to look back on in my entire life. So that is so- <laughs> that, that may be chief among them. <laughs> I don't know, the away message may be the safest part because that was somebody else's lyrics most of the time. Oh man. Oh boy, that's just. I'm just very glad that I did not grow yeah, up in the social media age because there would have been some bad. There, uh, yeah. 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 And we all are for you. Yeah. Though. Yeah. Thank you very much. <laughs> Follow me on Twitter at Josh Klein Rules for all the lyrics you can get. <laughs> and Colin, where can they find your cranberry takes? At Colin CLT. Fabulous. To all of our listeners, happy holidays. Be safe this holiday season. 
JJ, your one-day contract is up. Merry Christmas. Follow Nikki at Nikki704 on Twitter and Instagram. Social influencer. No, 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 that is not me. Happy holidays, everyone. We'll see you next week.